Welcome to the podcast. Still at home. Still with live guitar. Semi-live. All right, let's get going here. Your Houston Texans are in OTAs. No, they're not. It's not really OTAs. You know what it is? Virtual meetings. They're meeting on Zoom, just like the rest of the world right now. And they're getting a lot done, they say. J.J. Watt met with the media this week, talked about how much was getting accomplished, talked about Anthony Weaver. And we've heard from players, coaches, about how these Zoom-type meetings are going, and certainly a lot of good classroom work. Tim Kelly told us, Anthony Weaver told us that, yeah, they feel like they're getting a lot accomplished. There's actually a lot of connecting going on. It's a very different phenomenon, isn't it? We've all been meeting Zoom-wise, and some of you have had reunions. Others have just done work stuff, just, but have done work stuff over Zoom. Uh, there's Zoom fatigue. There's all this coverage on what Zoom-type meetings are doing to us. I say Zoom-type because not everyone uses the Zoom platform, but a lot of people have and do, and a lot of us are getting really good at it. I learned how to unmute myself three days in. I think I said that in the Quarantine Blues song. And, look, we're trying to get through it together. And a lot of people are going back to the office now. The Houston Texans will be going back to the office soon enough. Coaches will be going soon enough. A lot of business operations, that's me, type of employees. Business operations, by the way, it's ticketing, marketing, PR, human resources, accounting, suites, which is Texans Lux, of course, sponsorship. You know, we have different terms for these in the building, but I'm just sort of sharing what that side of the building is like. But very few people. We have, for instance, in my department, which is broadcast digital media, we have 16 total people. And four of us are going in next week, and I'm not really one of them. However, Drew Doherty, John Harris, D.B. Sidhu, myself, we could go into the studio, which is on the service level, which is basically the hallway that surrounds the stadium part of NRG Stadium. We can go through the, those doors into the studio, but we're not going to be going into our offices unless you need to get something, but even that needs clearance. They're really trying to keep it locked down as much as possible, keep the circle very small, don't spread any potential COVID germs don't spread the virus, in other words. I don't mean to be facetious here. Uh, but that's sort of what's going on in the building. No players yet, uh, but hopefully soon. You never know. And I don't know if it'll be in time, if the players will be allowed back into the building and Moss in time to have any sort of practice. I mean, I just I don't see that happening until training camp, but you never know because things change very quickly during this lockdown era we are in. But I started this talking about the Zoom meetings and how the players are going through this right now, their off-season program. And J.J. Watt made a great point about the difference between this and the 2011 off-season, which we talk about a lot, because that was a lockdown season or a lockout season. Got to get my locks straight here. That was the lockout because of a labor dispute. This is the lockdown. So during the lockout, players could not have any contact with the coaches whatsoever. They could not come into the building, no contact with the coaches, all of that. But the players would gather unto themselves and practice. And think about 2011 now. You were coming off a 2010 season, which was not a good year, but the offense was still cooking. Arian Foster led the league in rushing. I mean, you could have Matt Schaub, the offensive line, Foster, Andre Johnson, Kevin Walter, Owen Daniels, all those guys gathering together 
and holding practice, they knew the playbook cold. I mean, the offense had been around together for a while at that point, and that was a good offensive line, and they got a lot done by themselves. Now, the defense was breaking in the new system under Wade Phillips, so that was a little bit different. But Watt, who was drafted in the first round, as you all know, was able to go in and get the playbook. I'm sure some other guys had it, and they got some good things done on defense as well that year. As a group, there was no social distancing. There was just no contact with the coaches. Now you have somewhat of the opposite situation. You have social distancing. Yeah, you can get together, but you're supposed to stay sort of apart while you're together, for lack of a better way of putting it. And you do have a lot of meetings with the coaches. You have a lot of brain work. Most of these guys, I I don't know if I can say most or not, but so many of us are visual learners. And, look, even when I did the high school play, Right, in the high school play, when you were memorizing lines, the drama instructor said, Don't memorize lines until we block the scene, meaning till I tell you, Oh, you say this line when you're over here by the lamp, then you walk over there by the couch and you say that line. It's kind of like an easier way to learn lines in a play. Well, football is sort of the same thing. This play, you go over here. That play, you go over there. It's different when you're doing it physically as opposed to just classroom learning. And I think that's an interesting distinction right there. So, uh, what highlighted those differences between the 2011 offseason and what we're going through right now? And look, we don't know what the product is going to look like until they get together. I hope we know what the product's going to look like, and I hope they get together on time. There's still a whole lot of stuff going on out there. As we speak right now, as I record this, the NBA has not announced anything formal. There are a bunch of options, the Disney World Biodome plan, the possibility of a four-team play-in to get the final two spots in each conference, then do the postseason, but all under sort of lock and key at the Disney complex somehow, which is apparently an amazing facility and one which they can, you know, they can pull this idea off, but it's not going to be, I hate to say it's not going to be pretty. It'll, anything's pretty compared to what we're getting right now, which is nothing, which is Jordan documentary stuff, which was nice. But come on, we want to watch some basketball. The NHL, they're going to go right into their postseason, but with 24 instead of 16 teams. Baseball hasn't been able to resolve its economic issues because, well, they have no local revenue coming in virtually. And without attendance revenue, that really drops things dramatically. The NFL gets way more of its money from national TV contracts than baseball, and uh, they want to pay the players less. So they're having a dispute right now about that. So the soccer leagues now, Bundesliga, I think I'm saying that correctly, the German soccer league, uh, they had been playing, I think they're two weeks in, two and a half weeks in. They're going on their third weekend. Uh, that looks... Interesting. I mean, it's great to see live sports. No fans. They pipe in crowd noise. They do what they can. The Premier League's going to start up soon enough. So you feel like things are getting back. But what are we getting back to? What are we getting back to with football? Are we going to have fans or not? I can tell you this. I am responsible. I oversee the production of preseason television. And as many of you know, the NFL teams, they all do their own preseason TV broadcasts with a local TV partner. Ours is ABC 13, but we do the whole production and just sort of send them the game and they put it on the air. I mean, they really don't have anything to do with the production of the game. They just carry it uh, as far as whatever we produce. And we've had a lot of conversations. I've talked to a lot of my counterparts around the league in terms of broadcast management. How are you doing it? Are you doing crowd noise, fake crowd noise piped in if there are going to be no fans? 
lot of mystery around this, and we're going over these things every day. We've talked about a lot of different options. I, for one, am not in favor of piping crowd noise into the actual broadcast, for instance, in the audio that you would hear from the truck. Now, I'm fine with getting the stadium real loud with music, maybe some version of crowd noise or some kind of noise, maybe stingers like, I, you know, don't want to imitate that here, but I guess I just did. Stuff like that would add to the ambiance of what's going on in the stadium if there are no fans, and you'd hear it on the television broadcast, on the radio broadcast. I think that's probably the way to go if you're not going to have fans over piping and fake crowd noise in the actual TV feed itself, if that makes sense. But I don't know. This is my personal feeling. I'm more optimistic that there will be somebody in the building, and I feel this way. Somebody is better than nobody, right? If it ends up being 10,000 fans, I'd rather have that than nothing. Now, as we say that, it's easy for me to say, and I think from a sound standpoint, that would be much better, obviously. But there are major logistical hurdles to getting people in the building in this environment we live in, with social distancing, with the protocols, however they're going to play out. For instance, yeah, 10,000 sounds pretty easy. I mean, you usually get 70,000 in NRG Stadium. But if they all have to be distanced, sitting seats apart, we're not talking just lower bowl here. They're all over the place, right? Like little dots spread out throughout the stadium, if that turns out to be the case. This is just one scenario that I'm painting for you. I'm sure things have been officially discussed, but I'm not in those conversations. But think about the difficulty of getting people in the building, socially distanced, maybe taking temperature, really. Uh, What are the restrooms? What's that situation going to be like? What are the concession stands going to be like? Uh, Dismissing the crowd, right? You can't, and as I say that, you're thinking dismissing? Yeah, it might have to be done lunch lady style. Table five, clear your table. How many of you had lunch ladies? Remember the Sandler song, Lunch Lady Land? Anyway, I don't know how that's going to go down because think about leaving a game. Everybody jammed in on escalators and everything. That's not social distancing. Will people be polite and sort of just wait their turn? I don't know. I mean, you look around and you can't guarantee that if it's 10,000, 15,000 or whatever, you can't guarantee people socially distance. You've seen the footage from around the country. Uh, the Lake of the Ozarks one really struck me, that gigantic pool party with everybody really close to each other. We've all seen pool parties like that. It looks like a typical Vegas-type pool party. Hell, South Shore Convention Center uh, Hotel where um, where I do my golf tournament, that hotel, they have big pool parties like that almost every weekend. And, look, that's not my scene. I'm, I'm not really into that kind of thing, but people are doing it. People are close. A lot of people are thumbing their nose at social distancing. I'm not judging here. I'm just saying these are the facts here, and you got to deal with them. So what's that going to look like? Are you going to allow uh, people to sort of break that six-foot barrier around each other? Because uh, I think you have to. I think if you're going to have uh, anything close to a regular experience, even with fewer fans, you're going to have to say, well, six feet, yes, ideally, but you know, if it's three feet, four feet, we're going to have to live with that. And think of it this way, too players. John McClain, every week we visit with him on Texans All Access Thursday nights at 6. That's his slot. And every week I get depressed after I talk to him. And I'm joking here, but not really. Well, it, it, look, the general is wonderful. I love him. You know that. And he's a treasure. He's the dean of football knowledge in this city as far as media members go. Uh, but he brings up some good points, like huddling. 
That's not social distancing. Being on the line of scrimmage, not social distancing. I was joking that you'd see swinging gate plays and Griff Whalen playing quarterback and you remember that ill-fated Colts play. Uh, stuff like that where people are not next to each other. I'm joking around, of course. Football, you're very much next to each other. How are you going to do this? I don't know. Are we going to get to a point where they're spraying the guys down every series? You know, here's your Lysol. Just spray them down. Uh, they've been experimenting reportedly with Oakley-type masks that would cover their entire face and not fog up. And that way, you know, stuff's coming off of them as they play football. Sweat, spit, whatever, blood. And all of that is uh, highly contagious, of course. I don't know how they're going to handle that. And maybe these masks will help. And I don't know if they wear masks or not, but there have been some reports about some experiments. We'll see how they put it together. I personally feel that by the time they play, there will be some breakthroughs. Uh, certainly disinfecting as much as possible is going to be a thing. But certain drugs will come into light that will be better as far as treating when you get it, if you get it, maybe preventing. I don't know. But some things can happen here. And before you say, oh, no way, Mark. Well, look, I'm finishing week 11 of quarantine, right? And I've been out of the office for 12 weeks, actually, because I had spring break, like many of you did in March. And during spring break is when all this stuff went down. So the lockdown has been 11 weeks so far. Well, the Texans open 11 weeks from the recording of this podcast. So a lot can happen in 11 weeks. And I'm hoping that some sort of breakthrough, and I'm not talking about a vaccine. I'm not crazy here. I think that just takes way longer. But some sort of breakthrough happens, maybe a new understanding of the way this thing works, maybe drugs, whatever, and allows us to get back to some semblance of dare I say the word, normal. That's what I'm hoping. All right, more on the actual football stuff here. NFL owners had virtual meetings, and a lot of you were hoping that this 4th and 15 play would be approved. The 4th and 15 play, for those who don't know, would replace the onside kick. When you're trailing and you desperately need the ball back, you just scored. Oh, we need the ball back. Let's do an onside kick. It's a low percentage play, obviously. Oh, my gosh, we didn't get it. The game's over. Or we did get it. We can play on here and hope to score and climb back into the lead or whatever the case may be. Well, instead of the onside kick, you would get one snap from your 25-yard line, your own 25-yard line, one snap. And if it's a first down, you keep playing. If it's not a first down, they get the ball where it is, and that's ball game, right? Would that be something you'd like? Well, the vote was 16-16. The owners said, by and large, that, well, half of them said they don't want it. Now, they needed 24 for it to go. So they were eight away, which is still a pretty big number when you're talking about a group of 32. So a quarter of the league more needs to like it in order to get it voted in. I wasn't in favor of this. Look, I love excitement, and you have Deshaun Watson, fourth and 15. That's not the end of the world for him. He can make that play. Mahomes, some of these great quarterbacks that we have in the league certainly can do it. But would you want a penalty doing it? You know what I mean? If you're the team that has the lead and they're trying to get back in front, the opponent, and let's say it's Mahomes. Let's say it's opening night, Thursday night, September 10th. You're at Arrowhead Stadium. You're up a couple of scores. They score, and now they get their fourth and 15 play from their 25, and you get a ticky-tack five-yard ticket for defensive holding, and they get a first down at their 30, and they're still going. I, it doesn't sit right with me. You earn the lead. 
it doesn't sit right. Look, but Mark, this is a league of excitement. We want eyeballs on TV. We want it to keep going. I just don't feel like saying, hey, you still get the ball. You get the ball. I don't like that. If you're going to give them that opportunity, I say back them up at their 15, back them up a little deeper in their end because of a couple of things here. Fourth and 15, low percentage play. I got it. But, look, they could score a touchdown conceivably on that play. You you could chuck a deep ball and get a flag, and all of a sudden it's it's first and 10, and you're still going. The other thing is this. It's an untimed down, right? So let's say there are three seconds left in the game. They just scored uh, and had their conversion attempt or whatever. Three seconds to go, and they have a fourth and 15 play from their 25. It's untimed. So you could chuck a deep ball, get a P.I., and be in field goal range three seconds to go. We can kick it and win it. I I don't like this. I didn't like the rule. I think it's got to be a little different, so they knocked it down. Now, the interesting thing they did do, there's some other things that came into play that all make sense. The interesting thing they did do is they approved a preseason experiment of an eye in the sky. Now, this is not a sky official who would stop the game when weird things happen or you have a Saints-Rams type of play, a non-call on a PI or something like that. They have an eye in the sky that will be a resource for the referee. For instance, is the ball caught or not? The referee can call the eye in the sky and say, hey, uh, we thought it was in a completion, but it, I'm, we're sort of in disagreement down here. And if they do this outside of 25 seconds on the play clock, they can buzz up and find out what the eye in the sky thought and use his input. All right. It's only the, the conversation has to be initiated by the referee. It's not initiated by the eye in the sky. The eye in the sky is not going to say, hey, that was that was fishy. Hey, Mr. Ref, I want to talk to you. No, does not have that authority. It's the ref on the field that has to draw from whoever is in the booth, the booth official and get his input. Now, how many times do we see conferences with the men in stripes? Right. OK, they're trying to get the call right. They huddle up a conference. Now, they can call the eye in the sky during the conference. So basically what you have here is a review, right? Now, interestingly enough, they did not allow PI, pass interference, to be a reviewable thing or, or one of the things that they can overturn. So let's say that, as I say this, I'm wondering, like, how, how could this not be the case? Let's say that there's a PI call, but they thought it was iffy. And now they're going to talk, and they're going to pick up the flag. We've all seen that, right? So they're having their conference. They are not allowed to call the eye in the sky and get his input on the PI. Why not? Why not? And it's a preseason test. Why not? What's the harm? Like, bring it on. Bring on the preseason PI test here with the eye in the sky. I like the idea of having the eye in the sky as a resource. Now, for the referee, he knows he's got this out. So he knows in the back of his mind he's got a last house on the left in case they really don't have a call right on the field. But if you're going to do complete or incomplete, was his foot in or out or whatever, and the and the coaches aren't reviewing it, the eye in the sky, you should be able to lean on him not only for that catch or no catch ruling, which they can, but why not P.I.? Why not pass interference? It doesn't make any sense to me. Please add that in. But in any case, you're going to get the experiment this year, and maybe this will get us closer to an eye in the sky can, that can really be resourced for almost everything. Maybe not holding, but almost everything. So uh, we'll see how that goes as the league uh, continues here. Now, 
I don't think, I don't know if I've done a podcast since we've done the official preseason schedule and other schedule. Uh, look, the schedule is out, as you all know, and you've all seen it. And uh, for months, John Harris has been talking about opening against Kansas City. He hypothesized it would be the case. Johnny was right about that. Uh, it's a brutal schedule. They're always tough. I'm here to tell you. Every schedule's tough. So as you freak out when you watch Kansas City and Baltimore and, oh, my gosh, the Vikings and Pittsburgh and how how's this going to happen, look, just let it play out. Last year looked incredibly daunting as well. You went 10-6. and Could have gone 11-5 and if you played your guys the last game. And I just don't judge it too harshly, a schedule, until I see – you know exactly what's going on week to week. What if Roethlisberger's hurt? What if anybody's hurt, right? What if somebody has COVID? I don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, I can tell you, last year, you started at New Orleans. You went toe-to-toe. You lost. The next week, now you got to lay up with Jacksonville. They're playing Gardner Minshew. Wait a minute. That thing went down to the last moment. Had to stop Fournette on a two-point conversion plunge try in order to win the game. If he gets it in the end zone... They go up one, you lose. You go 0-2 at barbecue. Oh, my gosh. How about this? Then you go out to L.A. You're playing Phillip Rivers. This is a really good team the year before. The Chargers were good in 2018. They beat the Ravens on the road in a playoff game. I mean, they went to the playoffs. And you're going out there to play them. I know you're going to have more of your fans there than theirs probably, but still, Rivers. And you end up handling them well in that game. Then you come home, and it's like, all right, Kyle Allen's playing for the Panthers. I mean, this is, we thought it was going to be Cam Newton. It looked like murderer's row in the offseason when you looked at that schedule and the quarterbacks you were going to face. Now it's not going to be that difficult, right? Wrong. Kyle Allen beat you. So look, you're two and two last year and Gardner Minshew almost got the job done. Kyle Allen did. You beat Rivers and you almost beat Breeze. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, but you know, went toe to toe with them. You just don't know how these things are going to play out. You beat the Patriots at home. The next week you have Denver and Drew Locke, rookie quarterback. You're going to win that game. Oh, you didn't. You got blown out in that game, but you beat the Patriots. It's just, you don't know until you see it. There's no reason to freak out. I do find it interesting that you're playing the Vikings first game of the preseason and you're playing them relatively quickly in the regular season. I find that interesting. But that's happened before as recently as 2017 when you practiced against the Patriots at the Greenbrier and played them in a preseason game at NRG Stadium. And then in week three, you took them on in Foxborough. And that was a whale of a game, unfortunately a loss, but a whale of a game. And who caught the winning touchdown in that game? Brandon Cooks, now a Houston Texan. My goodness. I mean, it's amazing how things change. And I, I kind of, I didn't give him grief for that, but I reminded him of that moment uh, when we talked uh, during a season ticket member call. Anyway, that's pretty much it for today. Just wanted to hit on some things, some thoughts as we progress through what would have been OTAs, what still is the loosening lockdown, and let's hope we can get back to normal. Or is it Abby normal, as some of you more seasoned moviegoers might remember, Young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks, Gene Wilder film. See it. It holds up beautifully. I think. Maybe I should see it again, just to be sure. And by the way, one other entertainment note. I keep wanting to talk about this with Sean Pendergast and Seth Payne during my Friday morning appearances on Sports Radio 610 at 8 a.m. 
uh, as a side note, entertainment note thing. A lot of you watch the show Billions, and I was uh, teasing with Shawnee that I found a show I think I like even better or just as much, and that is Succession. Succession on HBO. I don't know if you've seen this. It's only two seasons in. Amy Palstick from the Texans told me about it. Drew Doherty said he watched it. It's good, man. The The dialogue is really good. I mean, the stories in a lot of these shows... Do you find this? A lot of your favorite shows, the storyline is like the same thing kind of over and over in a different sort of way. Like a lot of the same themes, names have been changed. But to me, a show lasts not just because of the story, but it's because of the dialogue. You care about the characters. You like them. You want to see how they handle situations. And I think that's Billions, too. Billions, to me, the story is over. All right? It's just the same thing over and over now. But... I love the characters, love the dialogue, so I keep watching. That's going to do it for Vandermeer's View with live guitar. Have a great day, and go Texans.